Eagles Entertainment. With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a really fun episode because we are going to cover a lot of the top storylines around college football as we enter week three of the season. It's crazy that we've already had two and a half, we'll say, uh, weeks of college football. We're going to start things off with Saturday scouting where Ben Fennel was at, again, one of the most exciting games of the college football calendar this past weekend, a double overtime game uh, down in Knoxville. So we'll talk about that matchup as well as where he's heading this weekend here for week three. Then we'll get to draft buzz with my good friend Tony Pauline from the Pro Football Network. Kind of cover some of the top news, some of the top items to hit on, some buzzworthy items here uh, as we enter this weekend. And then we're going to get into my scouting report where I'm going to cover this week one of the top defensive tackles for me in this country, in the country, and that's Oklahoma's Neville Gallimore, a senior uh, that's a two-year starter now in the Big 12, high upside player on the interior. Then we will wrap it up with a question from you in draft mailbag. But first, let's kick things off with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, let's get things going here with Saturday Scouting. And for that, I'm going to welcome in my good friend, Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. That's Fennel with two N's and two L's. Ben, uh, you guys are on a bit of a hot streak. Two games so far in the college football season. Your crew had an outstanding week one, Boise State, Florida State. And then you guys had an overtime matchup, BYU and uh, Tennessee. A little double overtime. Yeah. Huge, huge come from behind win for BYU. Under 30 seconds. I'm assuming most people flipped the channel thinking Tennessee had it locked up Guilty. as yeah. BYU had to go 80 yards and uh, they set themselves up for a field goal and then the two overtimes and they got the win. Yep. Pretty impressive game. It was a fun game. All right, so let's uh, let's jump right in. Who gets the game ball for you uh, in this game? Because there's a couple guys I know I want to really hit you on, but who gets the game ball overall? I really like this running back for BYU, Tyson Williams. And All you right. may remember that name because he was a hot recruit that went to North Carolina, okay. then transferred to South Carolina. And now he's a grad transfer at BYU. He's about six foot, 220, good power, good speed. Mm. He had 17 carries for 92 yards, two touchdowns in the game uh, on Saturday, including the game winner in double overtime, where the entire offensive line saw him kind of stalemate at the one yard line. Mm. And everybody joined the party and pushed the de- uh, push, Tennessee push, defense yep. uh, into the end zone. That's as demoralizing a way to lose at home to a school where, you know, you should be able to bully BYU around and to lose that way on the goal line that's that's a tough way to go out yes it is and BYU you know no stranger to putting out NFL prospects or running back we right. had Jamal Williams uh, just a couple of years ago now with the Green Bay Packers uh, Williams a, a guy you mentioned at the end of last week's show just as a, a quick throwaway and you know, he popped off was there what trait was it about him that really stood out most I really like his power yeah. you know I think he's a thick back and he's not really a slasher with good breakaway speed and home run speed but he's a guy that gets the dirty yards can run with between the tackles, and I thought that run at the end of the game kind of encapsulated what he is. He's a dirty runner that can get the extra yards, churn his legs, and uh, play some power football. All right, well, there's a player in this game going in that we really highlighted last week on the show, and I want to get your thoughts on Darrell Taylor, Darrell Taylor, uh, the pass rusher from Tennessee uh, on the Senior Bowl watch list. 
highly uh, debated between you and I over the last couple of weeks, really, on the show. What were your thoughts after seeing him live? Impressive pass rusher. Very impressive pass rusher. I probably didn't give him enough credit. Um, I've seen him win off the edge with speed and dip and rip moves. Obviously, we talked about it last year, or last week, giving uh, the right tackle of Georgia some trouble last year. Isaiah Wilson, another sack fumble in that Georgia game last year off the edge, but a couple crafty little power rushes in this game. Mm. He slanted into the right guard with an arm over over swim move, and then some uh, a little dip to get around the corner there, and then later in the game, a real nice speed to power move on the right tackle, which I love to see in college football. You see so many speed rushers just looking to run around people. Mm. I love seeing the power moves. You saw that long arm to an inside move and uh, chase the quarterback as he stepped up. I think the quarterback stepped up to like a one-yard gain, so it wasn't a sack, but you could right. clearly see the pass rush repertoire and the pass rush ability from Daryl Taylor. Just not sure what he can do in the run game for you. Mm. A little bit undersized to hang off on the edge there, but if every NFL scouts wants a guy that can hunt quarterbacks on third down and do it in a variety of ways, that's Taylor. And he's a good-looking kid. He's got good size, well-built lower half, long arms. Looks the part. He's not really one of these tall, lanky guys. He's not 6'5". He's more in that 6'4", right. 260 body. But uh, just to have that arsenal of pass rush moves is pretty impressive. And to me, that gets me excited because that was one of my knocks on him coming into the year was I didn't think he had a really wide array of pass rush moves. I thought he was really just kind of a high side rusher uh, at the moment with ability to win inside. He just hadn't shown it. The couple of the shots that you posted on your Twitter handle uh, shows that he's got the ability to win inside. But the counterpoint to that, he just doesn't always do it. Yeah. He flashes in yep. games. And, and sometimes yeah. he'll leave you like kind of wondering where he is for a quarter or two, and then he comes on and maybe late in the game when he's pinning ears back. And uh, I think the highlight plays really kind of get your attention, but it's like where is he on a down-to-down basis? Mm. I think that's going to be the battle for scouts to kind of figure out. The biggest question, though, is do you feel better about him now than you did a week ago? I do. I probably uh, sold him a little bit short last week and just a little concerned about his size, but he's a really well-built kid. He's an athletic kid. He's got the long arms. And just to see the pass rush uh, moves and the hopper of tricks to get after the quarterback, it's impressive. So uh, let the record show I'm taking a victory lap on yep, that you one. Yeah, you get the plus one so far, but uh, it's a long it's season a long for Tennessee, season. and we'll, we'll see where that program goes. For, especially for that team, it's going to be a long season. All right, well, let's not talk about one more volunteer, uh, another guy that we talked about last week on the show, Trey Smith, uh, the talented offensive lineman. Uh, what were your thoughts seeing him in that game? Did they rotate him as much as they so did So Tennessee before? rotated 10 offensive linemen the week before. They yeah. said, hold on, let's cut that down. They're only rotating eight now. Oh, they have right. two very, very highly touted true freshmen that they, I guess they have to work into the lineup. I don't know how you operate an offensive line with in and out moving parts. There's no continuity. So many. So Trey Smith's the left guard. Uh, Then they'll switch out the tackles for the true freshman. They'll work in another right guard, moving parts up and down the line. Trey Smith looks the part. He's a good player. But just to evaluate the entire offensive line of Tennessee, the moving parts, Garantano. It doesn't always look great, and it's going to be really tough to kind of evaluate Trey Smith in a vacuum, and you really have to kind of just look at him, look at his play. Sometimes he does his job, and it's a dumpster fire everywhere else, and vice versa. Um, And those types of evaluations and looking at just the player and not the unit is kind of a uh, tough little uh, kind of assessment when scouting. The little bit you've seen so far – 
Do you think he's better built to be a guard or for he a He looks the part of a guard. Yeah. He's obviously handled his own at tackle in the SEC, and I think he can play the part, but he looks like he's more of a squattier type, and right. uh, you want inside and as a power, uh, powerful type of interior lineman. You said the center, uh, Brandon Kennedy, stu- uh, stood out to you as well. Yeah, I was watching this offensive line like a hawk. It was in the pregame notes for me. We're going to pay attention to the rotation, so yeah. I want to see who is in and out of the lineup. Mm. And just notice, number 55 at center is the one constant. I was going to say, they keep you can't be rotating centers. And right? then I keep seeing some nice moves off the ball and some good quickness, a couple of reach blocks. They pulled him in the second mm-hmm. half. So, huh, let me look up this kid, Redshirt Senior. Interesting. Okay. And, uh, it kind of reminds me of my Florida games last year. My eyes are all over Martez Ivy and Juwan Taylor. And then, lo and behold, this senior right guard, Fred Johnson, is yep. just a really good-looking player. And, sure. uh, you know, sometimes these guys fall through the cracks on you in the scouting circuit, and, you know, you're so excited to look at the four stars, the five stars, the guys that are highly touted when mm. there's a guy that's been playing good football in there. I just like to give him some attention. So that's Brandon Kennedy, who's a redshirt senior. He's been on the field quite a bit for the volunteers, so I'm pretty impressed. All right, well, let's get to some more of these superlatives mm-hmm. here, and we'll start with the one-play takeaway. What is your one play that you're going to kind of file back into the memory banks uh, for the rest of the college football season. Yeah, we talked about Juwan Jennings last week, big physical receiver, former yep. dual-threat quarterback. He looks the part. He's a good-looking kid. He's 6'3", about 220, strong hands, and you saw that in overtime. Garantano threw him an in-breaker slightly behind him, kind of on that backfield shoulder where he had to reach back into the defensive back's kind of window and rip the ball away with really strong hands, pulled it away as he went to the ground. I just think that's what he does for his presence as a receiver. He's a big, broad kid that can use his body to get between the ball and the cornerback, use those strong hands, and be a red zone type of nightmare uh, You know, for the offense there. He also had a nice play-action crosser. They got him vertically deep where he had some yards after catch. Mm. You could see that aggressiveness with the ball in his hands. He even had a touchdown on a tip pass. Uh, which is always tough just for the hand-eye coordination in the red zone there. So really good-looking receiver. I expect him to be at the Senior Bowl this uh, mm. this coming winter down in Mobile and really see what he can do in one-on-ones. Uh, I don't really know where the trajectory of Tennessee's offense is going this year. Right. Yep. It's They're trying to run the ball a little bit more, working that true freshman. But Juwan Jennings, very impressive player. All right, well, let's get to uh, the one player that you were most excited to see from the BYU side in this game, and that's uh, your off-the-bus pick, meaning the, the most physically imposing, the most impressive uh, from a physical standpoint and body type. That's the tight end, Matt Bushman. You texted me right after you saw him uh, live up close. Yeah, I put up a video on Twitter, just him catching passes and warm-up. He's a good-looking kid. He looks like Tyler Eifert. He's mm. every bit the player, in my opinion, of Oklahoma's Grant Calcaterra, okay. uh, who's that move tight end. He's more of a slot tight end. Uh Oversized receiver, for back, lack of better words, 6'5", 255. Matt Bushman had 49 receptions in 2017. Yep. And then it was down last year. And I don't really know how many passes he's going to catch this year. Interesting. They have a true freshman quarterback there. He's still figuring some things out. He's going to have some exciting weeks. And they leaked him out on a vertical, actually a double pass, reverse, or some gadgety play. Right. Uh, if it was an accurately thrown ball, it would have been a big play touchdown. Okay. Kind of drifted to the sideline, pulled Matt Bushman out of bounds. He made the play. Um just not sure how much he's going to be involved this year, but don't sleep on him. He's a good-looking player. He's a guy that he's only a junior right now, but he's a guy that may end up being a better pro. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's when we're talking about guys that are a little underclassmen, uh, I always round this out by your down the with or with your down the road freak show. So someone who's not eligible for next year's draft, but just a name to kind of file away for the future. Yeah. So they already have Ty Chandler in the backfield, high recruit a couple years ago behind Najee yep. Harris, Cam Akers, all those guys, and he right. was the number five running back in the country. 
But they have another in-state running back they got in this year, Eric Gray. Uh, I believe he's from Memphis, kind of down the street there. Freshman, he's a top recruit at 17 rushes, 77 yards. He's got the breakaway speed. He's got the power. He can catch the ball. He's elusive. He's got mm. the contact balance. Just write his name down for later. He's one yeah. of those guys you just kind of put on the list, put it to bed. Two, three years, that name's going to come back up. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's starting to get a little bit of buzz nationally, yeah. like just in the, in the background. So uh, certainly he's, a name. He's getting his fair share of carries with Ty yeah. Chandler. And anytime you see that freshman get in there, it's almost like a he's earned those reps. He's too sure. good to not give the ball to. Interesting. All right, well, uh, before we turn the page and move into this weekend's action, uh, I'll tell you, I was I had my eyes focused, Ben, on that LSU-Texas game. Fun game, fun uh, matchup. No question. And you know, so you and I are texting. You guys are getting ready to go into overtime. And you're in the truck, you're the, the worrying about the game. You're like, hey, we're getting ready to go into OT. I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, but this Texas LSU game, it's so tight. The teams are going back and forth. Man, I'm telling you, my game ball has got to go to Joe Burrow, uh, a guy that you were on very early. I think you had their first game, his first game last year, yep, right? Against in Miami. Miami yep. uh, so he's a transfer from Ohio State. I thought last year you watch him, and you know the, the tools aren't great, but I think they're good enough. But just a really well-timed, like the timing and rhythm and his accuracy and his touch are all pretty good. Mm-hmm. And while I actually went back and watched the film from uh, their win over Georgia Southern uh, back in week one, and he was really impressive. I mean, the ball comes out on time. He just plays really well within structure. He's not a power arm thrower. That's not. I don't think he's like this guy that's going to really wow you with his arm talent. And he's not a superb athlete, but... The guy just gets it done, and in this game, I can't wait to go back and watch uh, this game against Texas because uh, you know he he made some some throws that take some guts. I mean, defenders bearing down, uh, touch, and look, maybe the arm strength is a little bit better because some of those throws he made in that game, like opposite hash, there was like wow, like <laughs> eye opening throws. Uh, three receivers go over a hundred yards. Uh, their one re- receiver, Justin Jefferson, really looked really looked the part, um, but he's hitting guys in stride, creating yards after catch, letting his guys go make plays. Do they have a new OC down there, a new quarterback so, coach, or something's different yes, in the offense? So it's this a, year, right? uh, they brought in uh, this kid from, um, I think it's Joe Grady or Joe O'Grady okay. uh, from the Saints, who was an offensive assistant That's right. Assistant That's there. what it is, yeah. Yep. And he's not the OC. Uh, uh, it's the same OC from last year. I, I knew really something what, like, was the same, but they brought in like a pass game coordinator yes. or a run analyst or so something he's like, like that. Like coaching the receivers and also pass game coordinator, but they gotcha. still have the receivers coach there. It's a, a weird title for him, but I know he's heavily involved in the offense. And uh, you know, it, look, Burrow, Burrow looks good. I, and I know you, you, like I said, you were there for his first game last year against Miami. Yeah, very impressive player. I like that they protect him on third downs, but conversely to that, they don't really involve the running backs and the tight ends in the pass game very much. I was yeah. hoping to see that a little bit more. We never got to see Foster Moreau really catch many balls or. Uh, uh, Darius guys, yeah, Leonard Fournette sure. got yep. a couple checkdowns and some screens, but uh, would have been really interesting to see Drake Davis out there, who was yeah. every bit the receiver of uh, Jerry Judy, in my opinion. This mm. guy was a dude, had some off the field stuff, uh, but they still have some pretty talented players in that uh, receiving core. So from that game, my one play takeaway, Ben, is a guy that I, you and I have talked about him offline. I mentioned him last week during draft buzz with Tony Pauline uh, as a player that you know don't sleep on this guy. And then he has the coming out party, and now everybody's uh, all over Devin Duvernay, uh, the other receiver at Texas. Everybody was hyping up Colin Johnson. Look, and I'm not saying that Duvernay is a first or second round pick, but you're talking about a guy who's a little bit under, a little bit short. But he's well built. Uh, he's explosive. He's got some juice. He showed that. My one play takeaway: he lined up in the slot, the right slot, and took a slant route, split two defenders, and took it to the house. Mm-hmm. And, and this guy showed some juice. He was a great, I mean, a great mm-hmm. 
track athlete at a big high school, uh, 6A in Texas. Um, you know, broke some records and did a lot of different things from that standpoint. So he's got speed, he's quick, and he's tough. I mean, he showed off that with his yards after catching this game. He'll deliver some big blocks. He's he's a guy I really like. And I, again, not a guy that I'm saying, oh, he's going to be a, a number one or number two receiver in the NFL, but we'll find a role. He's going to be, a, a, one, to me, one of the you know quote-unquote safer picks uh, in this upcoming draft as a wide receiver because I think he does a lot of the things that you look for, for in receivers that play that role. I'm just really excited about Yeah, and just real quick on Joe Burrow, I think in my notes after watching him, his tape all of last year, I wrote down yeah. Matt Schaub. Okay, that's yeah, kind of the, I can see that. The body, I don't want sure. to just, it's not a knock to call him a game manager, yeah. but he's an accurate guy, not a no huge question. arm, but someone you know that can work in some play action, get him some depth, and he can yeah. make all the throws. He's an accurate kid. Yep. Uh, maybe more of like a Matt Hasselback style of player as well. I'm not just trying to go with the non-exciting right. type of yeah. journeyman quarterbacks out there, but that's really kind of who he is. He doesn't have those traits to wow you, yep. but he has the ability to win and make all the throws. Sure. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get to your game this week, and you watch BYU uh, on the road. Now you get the pleasure of going to Provo yourself. Yeah, a little double dip BYU yep. action. We have Southern Cal coming to town Big against time. BYU. Nice. Fun like matchup, it. two yep. and zero uh, USC against one and one BYU. And BYU is not a slouch of a team, even though they're an independent and play some kooky games. They're a very, very good looking team. Watching them pregame warmups last year, they're very well built and they have some size and some speed out there. All right, so you've talked about their running back. Uh, you've talked about their tight end. Is there anybody else from BYU in this game that you know we haven't talked about that you're kind of excited to see? Not yet. Okay. Uh, you know, we could talk more Bushman and Tyson Williams and their new quarterbacks. Pretty exciting. Who Jeremy Pruitt called a Johnny Manziel type of player. A Mormon kind of, Manziel. Yeah, uh, kind of a. That's actually not too bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kind of a live wire. You know, kind of a gamer. He's an athletic kid. He's yep. gritty. Tries to extend plays and things like that. Uh, a couple Kafusi brothers on the of defense as a yeah. linebacker. There's a D. Lineman. There's actually a corner out there. I don't know his name offhand. He's number five. Okay. He was all over Phil Steele's uh, preseason list. Really tough kid. Had a bunch of big tackles in the game. All right. Not sure I'm ready to talk about him just yet. Okay. But, um, Maybe next week. Yeah. Somebody. Somebody definitely on the radar. Yeah. And obviously, look in this matchup, he'll be tested because USC's got a couple of very talented receivers. Uh, the the quarterback is a true freshman. Uh, I want to say Kyle Slovis. Is that, yes. is that okay? So Kyle Slovis steps in uh, as a true freshman. JT Daniels, the sophomore, goes Keaton, down with a rip. Keaton Slovis. Keaton Slovis. Thank yeah. you. All Not right. quite a household name yet. Not yet. All right. I tried to get around mentioning the BYU name because it's a tough name to pronounce. So I'm going to slide the paper over to you. And all right. You all right let's see. Let's us. see. Let's see. Oh, ho, ho, ho. All right. Let's see this baby. All right. <laughs> all right. So this is Dion Ganwaliku. That's not that bad. All right. Now I got to go look at the phonetic spelling. I mean, right. We're going to double check and make sure. BYU corner number five. Go All check right. him out. He's check on out. Phil Steele's first team preseason independent league. Uh, so anytime you see someone that's kind of highly tattered from sure. Phil Steele, I write the name down. Yep. So I was paying attention to number five in the game. A couple of huge hits in the game. Not yeah. a kid that's not afraid to come up and tackle, which you I play love. Mostly right side, left side. What's the? I don't what's know if deal? I have the assessment yet All on right. there, but All just right. a guy I wasn't really paying overly much attention to. But I just kept seeing this number five, and I remember this was a kid on Phil Steele's list. Well, you'll be watching him in this game because USC has got those receivers. So you got Michael Pittman, the big senior, who yep. lines up mostly on the left. Tyler Vaughn's lined up mostly on the right. Uh, I, I'll give my assessment. 
question on both because I've watched both as well, but I want to hear from you. What, what are your thoughts on both these receivers here? So Michael Pittman, these guys are in different packages. Michael Pittman's yes. about 6'4", 223. He's broad. He's tall. He's long. He's a really good-looking wide receiver, but he's really smooth and fluid for that size, which I love that combination. You don't want these guys just to be big and stiff and strong. Yep. you got to be able to move and have some, uh, some athleticism and some agility. He's really good at playing the ball in the air. His adjustments, the back shoulders, the high point, aggressive at the catch point, uses that size and strength to his advantage uh, against smaller defensive backs. You see the blocking. You see the no effort question. on that. You see the special teams. Yep. He's a guy that just seems like he does everything right on the field as far as you know, just being a good player, a good locker room guy, doing the stuff away from the ball. A lot of Arthego Whiteside here. Yes, but... Conversely, he's a guy that may rely a little bit too much on his size and mm. strength. He's not getting in and out of breaks particularly well. Because he's bigger and stronger. That's the big difference. You know, Ortega Whiteside is 6'2 and change. Right. You know, this kid is like 6'4 and a half. He's right? a I mean, big he's, kid. Yeah, yeah he's a big kid. Exactly. Big so I've written down he doesn't separate particularly well, not a sharp route runner that wins with technique, not much snap in and out yep. of breaks, not much of a yak threat, but he's competitive. Sure. He's strong. He's a big kid. He'll make people miss because of that strong. Okay. I wrote down, can he do this in the NFL? Because right. you know who's big and strong in the NFL? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So some comps I have written down right now, I have Jalen Strong okay. from Arizona State, kind of a back shoulder beast a couple years ago. Yep. Was really good at playing the ball in the air. Kelvin Harmon from NC State, yep. really thick, rocked-up kind of kid. Had that, some catches against that, the Eagles this week for yep. Washington. Yep. And uh, made some really tough catches in the ACC, gave Jair Alexander some problems a couple years ago. And the guy I think is the right comp right now is Indiana wide receiver Simi Cobbs. Mm. Now I think he's a better football player than all three of those yep. because of his special team's ability. Yep. But that's the type of package of receiver we're looking at. Interesting. All right, well, then you go into the other side to Tyler Vaughn's, uh, a player I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, I think both of us are higher on Vaughn's, who is a junior as opposed to Pittman, who's a senior. Yeah, and this guy's a different package. He's 6'2", 185, so a much smaller, wiry receiver. Uh, I love the note that he took ballet classes in high school, just a little thing I put in his bio and his notes. Just something to pay attention to, his footwork, agility, balance, balance things yep. like that. I just like the uh, the aggressiveness to go take some ballet classes in high school. This guy's sure. not overly involved in the offense. Right around 50, 60 catches the past two years. Uh, obviously buried in that receiving core with yep. St. Brown and Pittman. A lot of mouths to feed over there. But he's tall, he's lean, he's wiry. This is a guy with the extra gear. This is a guy that gets to it really fast, top-end speed. He's sudden, he's urgent, he's competitive with the ball, gets in and out of breaks really well, even throw the ball a couple times on yep. some gadget plays. That's right. Um, he's but, a lefty, I believe. Yeah, but uh, convert. Conversely, because of that frame, they like to put them outside the numbers. Or excuse me, they like to put them outside the numbers because of that speed. Right. But that frame, he could get knocked off his routes, and yep. he doesn't really have the play strength. Struggles against some bigger uh, cornerbacks out there, and that size. Conversely, to Michael Pittman, he struggles at the catch point. Mm -hmm. He kind of get uh, bullied by some corners, struggles with a corner on his back, and struggles in those tight window passes. Remind me a little bit of a Josh Reynolds. Okay. Uh, who settled into a nice role with the Los Angeles Rams out there? Sure. That, that style of receiver. He like to me like watching him. I think I I think I may have texted you after I watched him and said you're going to like Tyler Vaughn. We watched he's one your of these kids guy. together over the summer. We I can't Pittman. remember. We which watched one. Pittman yeah. together. I think after I watched Vaughn's, I think he was a guy that I texted you and said. Vaughn's is your kind of guy. Like yeah. you like those receivers that have like that quick snap out of breaks right. and have that ability to separate. 
He's got. Yeah, it's that. a get open business. Yes. We need guys to get open. You know, yeah. these receivers are just beast corners in in college on Saturdays. Yep, that rarely works on Sundays. Sure. Uh, so if it's a guy that just is good at com- uh, contested catches, good at the catch point. Usually that's taking a backseat mm. to guys that get in and out of breaks, good releases, a package of releases, gets the top end speed quickly, can manipulate speeds. All that technique within mm. the route, getting yourself open, I tend to like a little bit more. And the yep. same thing with pass rushers. Right. Like guys that use their hands, have the plan of attack, versus the guys that are just fast and want to run around players. I need guys that win with deliberate movements and mm. technique as opposed to just God-given abilities. Uh, Stephen Carr, the running back, an underclassman, uh, a guy that scored two touchdowns touchdowns, I believe, in week one. Now, I didn't look at the box score to see what he did against Stanford this week, but he's a guy that really, he's been on my radar since he was a true freshman because he was taking carries away from Ronald Jones, a former sec- our future second-round pick uh, by Tampa. Uh, I know he was banged up last year, was kind of in and out of the lineup. What are your thoughts on Stephen Carr? I remember doing a game when he was a true freshman. It was uh, Sam Darnold up at Cal, and uh, Stephen Carr was a really impressive player. Yeah. And I was like, I wrote his name down as a futures list, and he was a slasher, he was quick, he was shifty. And then I'm not really sure what happened to him last year. And he was banged up. He was banged in and out up. Of he's put on some weight, too. I, know, I don't he's know if the bigger. injury you know, beefed him up or if he wanted to add some weight just to be a little bit more of a competitive between yeah. the tackles runner. Um, I don't really have a whole lot on him since yeah. that freshman year. I'm kind of interested to see how he's handled the extra weight, handled the injuries, mm. and how he's involved in the offense being an upperclassman now, being yeah. a junior and being yep. a draft-eligible guy. It's a, a new offense there. Uh, Graham Harrell, the former uh, Texas Tech quarterback under Mike Leach, now the, the offense coordinator, mm-hmm. so he's calling plays. Air raid scheme, they're they're kind of airing it out. Anybody else on that side of the ball that you're excited to see from the USC offense? No, not particularly. Okay. You know, we had talked about the receivers there. They have some young receivers in St. Brown, who's yep. an exciting player. Yep, who's not uh, eligible, I don't believe. Yeah, but. the uh, the left tackle is an interesting player as right. well. I believe Austin Jackson is yes, his name. I think you're right. Good yep. off the field story as well, doing some uh, stuff with his family and mm. some blood. Uh, Transfusion work for a sister because mm-hmm. they're they're a match. There's some some good special interest pieces out out there on the internet if you okay. want to look them up. But uh, the defensive side of the ball. For I know there's a guy. I wanted to save their defense USC for the end because you're excited about a guy on this side of the ball. Um, well, there's two guys I'm excited about. Okay. So the guy that's so just a good player. I like Brandon Pilly. He's an interesting uh, okay. junior D tackle from Alaska. He's got an interesting background at wrestling and all these discus and shot put records up there in Alaska in high school. Had a block kick last year. He's one of my off the bus guys on the podcast last yes, year. Yes, you're correct. Really good looking kid. He's 6'4", 325. Yep. But it's the other guy I want to talk about. Uh, the other D tackle. Yeah, and Jay Tufele is a very, very interesting defensive tackle. He's a redshirt sophomore. I'm willing to say... How hot, I was going to say, how hot are we going to get with this take right I'm now? I'm not going to say he's the best draft-eligible defensive tackle in, in the nation. There's okay. a lot of impressive lot of really class. Ones, Raekwon yep. Davis and Derek Browns of the world. But if we're talking about guys that are in their third year out of high school, so he's a redshirt sophomore, okay. so redshirt sophomores, true juniors. 2017 class is what we're talking about. Sure. He was the number three D tackle behind Marvin Wilson, who was number one right. down at Florida State. I'm willing to say this is the best third-year defensive tackle in college football. Okay. He's only a redshirt sophomore, so he only played one year. He right. only played last year, and that was enough to make him USC's defensive lineman of the year. Yep. And when you put on the tape of this kid, he's about 6'3", 305. He has a dangerous, dangerous combination of size, strength, and athleticism. Yeah. He has some freaky movement patterns for his size, uh, the ability to change directions, the ability to, to dip around corners in combination with heavy, heavy, violent hands. Mm. And anytime you have the speed, the quickness, and the violence, 
That is a recipe to disrupt. And he doesn't make a lot of plays in the backfield. Right. But this guy is a disruptor. I think he only had four tackles for loss last year, three sacks. He's up to a sack and a TFL so far. Mm. But this guy disrupts. And if you want to watch a fun tape, put on week one against Fresno State. They have a, a very impressive offensive lineman, Natani Muti, who probably be, end up being an NFL player as well. They battled all game, and it was a really, really fun matchup. And he flashes every handful of plays in a play that – you just need to tap the guy next to you and say, watch this, watch this. And I know they I did this to you yesterday. Yeah. Saying, come watch this, come watch <laughs> this. And you get to see the quickness off the ball, the deliberate movements with different club moves and arm over moves and rip moves, and then the speed and the change of direction in pursuit. Mm. And he loves to chase plays outside the numbers, down the field. This guy's a hustler, and it's really, really fun to watch this kid. Best USC defensive tackle since Jarrell Casey? Got to think, right? I'm trying to think of some of the guys they've put out recently. They had the one kid uh, a couple years ago that was like a D-tackle D. Um, Derek Marks? No. Ooh, that's not that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Was there was a, the, the, what was the, one that, the kid that went to USC? Raheem? Nope. That's probably not his name. They had a D-tackle oh, D. They had like Rasheem combo. Green. Rasheem Green. Thank who you. Who was really an end playing three-tack. Yes, I think he went yes, to the Seahawks yes, yes. and he's okay. up there. Uh, okay. Nice little player. Yep. I'm trying to think of anybody else they've had in the interior. I don't think they've had anybody lately. It might be, I think it might be. He might be the best one since Casey. Yeah, Casey was an impressive player that really wasn't highly touted from scouts. He was being a, a better pro, kind yeah. of a mid-round pick. Uh, but Tufele was very impressive. I was able to see him last year as well. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure what superlative I gave him. Oh, he was my down-the-road freak show last year. They had a big, big win at Washington State last year. Okay. Actually, one of the games if Washington State had won that game right. they literally are, are in the picture for the playoff if right. they could beat USC in that game he actually had a uh, block kick in the game I have written down he stood out when I was watching Sunult from Colorado, from Colorado okay. and he stood out watching Colin Johnson so if while you're watching receivers if a D yeah. tackle <laughs> standing out when I'm watching a receiver Yep. You know he's a dude. I'm writing some extra asterisks next to this kid, and I have some really <laughs> impressive plays, some bull rushes right into the laps of quarterbacks, some yep. nice TT stunts, some other bull rushes and one-on-ones. Showed you a play where he just long-armed the right tackle of Colorado yes, right yep. into the turf. Very impressive player. But just to fill out the whole picture here, his pad level is not always great. Sometimes he pops right up. His eye level isn't always great. Mm. Sometimes that is what I call a head-down disruptor. Okay. Which you kind of you have poor eye level, mm. but you're just going and you're just shooting across the line and you're just no blowing idea where the plays ball up is, yeah. exactly yep. and letting other people kind of make the play. So that's an ability, that's a trait, but you can clean some things up, yep. keep your eye level up, keep your posture up, and he doesn't always lead with his hands. Sometimes okay. he just goes in with his head and his shoulder, looking mm. to bull people up. We like him shoot his hands a little bit more, lock out, find the ball, and disengage. But very impressive player, only a redshirt sophomore, so technically an eligible player. Right. Not sure when he'll declare. He obviously has two more years of eligibility if he wants yep. to hang around, uh, but someone to kind of put on your radar and get watching. Uh, anybody else on that side of the ball that you're, uh, you're juiced up about? No, there's some young players that are going to work in. John Houston, Palomalu line, there, right? linebacker. Yep, the uh, nephew yeah, of Troy Palomalu, who it's not the same name. It's like Palomalu. Yeah, Malo, there's a posture Who I think there. had yeah, an interception yeah. to seal the game in week one against Fresno okay. State. Um, they also have this outside linebacker, Gote Gote. Uh, who they told us last year, this kid is too good to not put on the field. He was a true, true freshman, freshman last man. year. Yeah, I remember you Anytime saying that. Anytime coaches yeah. say that, like, this guy just blows up practice. He's earned every right for playing time, and he's a true freshman. Name to file away. No question. Yep. Um, so I always take notes of that. And they have some moving parts out in the secondary. No mm -hmm. more uh, Amon Marshall, no yep. more Marvell Tell. Right. 
So I'm just excited to see what young players are going to step up out there. They always have young guys. No question. No question. Up. So and it's, I can only get so far ahead on the true freshmen, right. sophomores. I'm trying to tackle the draft eligible people <laughs> here. Um, so every now and then a young guy will flash on tape, yep. write his name down for later and just store it away. All right. So for my matchup to watch that I'll be looking forward to uh, this weekend, I want to do a game that you did last year. You mentioned you did Arizona. Or, uh, I just buried it. Uh, Washington State versus USC last yes, year. Yeah. I'm going to go with a game that you did, Arizona State versus Michigan State, and I've got two guys matching up that you and I have studied together. Is this one at Michigan State? This one's at it Michigan State. It was in the State. desert last year. I think Correct. Home so and this home one's up, up in East, yeah. East Lansing. So you've got Michigan State, their defensive tackle, Raquan Williams, going up against the Arizona State center, uh, Cole Cabral. This is a great matchup. Two seniors, two guys that I think have a lot to prove and have have upside going one-on-one most of the game. Raekwon's a nose tackle going up against the center. This should be a, a fun matchup. You know, Cabral is, a, is an athletic kid. He uses his hands really well. He's got good feet. You could tell he was a former tackle, but he started his career uh, with the Sun Devils at tackle. We both watched him, and the more we watched, this guy can play. Mm-hmm. And this guy is really flying under the radar right now. Uh, that's a matchup that I'm watching against Williams, who – it's another one who played early in his career, uh, has pl- been playing there now for the last couple of years, and pad level's an issue. You mentioned that with, uh, with the kid from USC. Uh, Williams does play very high, but he's stout. He's pretty violent. He makes plays sideline to sideline. I, I like a lot of what I've seen from both players. I do like Cabral a little bit more grand scheme, um, but it should be a good battle. And just to fill out the full picture on that side of the ball, Michigan State's a really good run defense team. They've mm-hmm. been for a number of years under D'Antonio. And then you got Eno Benjamin coming to town from One Arizona of the best State. Backs in the country. No question. This guy could win in a number of ways inside, outside, pass game, creating for himself. Mm. So just interesting to see that battle there against a Big Ten team. Uh, and Raquan Williams, coached by Ron Burton up at uh, Michigan State, really good defensive line coach. They've been pumping out NFL prospects Kenny for a Willikus couple, is couple years there. here. Team that matched up last year, home and home matchup this year. So there's a little familiarity for uh, two non conference teams here. Love it. Uh, it's a fun matchup. That'll be a fun matchup. Well, Ben, uh, excited to talk about this after your west coast trip uh we'll see you back here next week on saturday scouting outstanding stuff there from ben and you know like you know how much i value the work that he does with me whether it's with our eagle eye in the sky articles and with eagles game plan we're right in the middle of editing eagles game plan for this week so if you're an eagles fan listening uh the eagles are taking on the atlanta falcons this week sunday night football even if you're not an eagles fan if you're a Falcons fan, that's great for you. Or if you just want to learn more about the game, great analysis from Greg Cosell and Mike Quick and Ike Reese, our host, John Clark. I caught up with Eagles offensive coordinator Mike Grow. We talked about uh, some different things that happened in the Eagles win over Washington. So make sure you keep an eye out for that later this week on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Or if you're local, it will be at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. on NBC10 here in Philadelphia. All right, let's get to the next segment of the show. Tony Pauline, Draft Buzz, that's up next. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. We're really excited to be joined once again by the Draft Insider Extraordinaire, my friend Tony Pauline, the Draft Analyst over at the Pro Football Network. And Tony, uh, look, there's a lot going on around college football these days. I know your big Draft Buzz item is that Alaric Jackson, the left tackle from Iowa, not going to miss too much more time, which is good. Talented player. Uh, I know that you're relatively high on him. You think that he could be a day-two selection down the road. I want to first ask you, though, about the right tackle there for Iowa, and that's Tristan Wirfs, a player that's very highly regarded, had been a right tackle coming into this year, has seen by some as a potential first-round pick. But with Jackson out of the lineup on the left side, my first question for you is this with Wirfs. 
How much does his ability to now play on both the right and left side, because he's played both positions over the course of the last few weeks, how much is that going to help his value as we get into the draft season, whether he declares for this year's draft or next year's draft? How does that versatility help him and his stock moving forward? Well, the fact if he's able to move from the left side from the right side to the left side and line up at left tackle and play with good balance and coordination, that's a positive sign because as any offensive lineman will tell you, you know, when you've lined up on the right side all your life and you're asked to move to the left side, that's a major transition. Now, the fact is, is you know, Iowa really hasn't played any major opponents yet. Miami of Ohio, then Rutgers. They got Iowa State this week in Middle Tennessee. We'll see what happens and with the return of Alaric Jackson. But if he goes up against Michigan uh, with Josh Uschi there yeah. and Penn State with Torek Gross-Matos, and he has a good game, that's going to do nothing but really boost his draft stock because everyone projected him as a big, strong right tackle. If he's proving his worth at le- the all-important left tackle position and he's able to shut down you know, Uchi and Gross-Matos if he plays against them, guys who are undersized speed rushers, that's going to be uh, really help his draft stock, really going to boost it. All right, well, let's, uh, let's talk about somebody who continued to boost their stock. Who, who's someone that has got their stock up as we go into week three? I loved Evan Weaver, the uh, inside middle linebacker from Cal. You know, he's a tough guy. He's an instinctive guy. He goes 100 miles an hour. He has this incredible burst. He plays with, with tremendous suddenness uh, during Cal's upset victory over Washington in Washington, in Seattle which is a very difficult thing to do. He led all defenders with 18 tackles. He also had two tackles for loss. He was constantly around the ball. You know, Weaver gave serious consideration entering last year's draft. I think he did the right thing by going back. Scouts have graded him as a seventh-round pick. I think he's more in the fifth-round variety. He's a tough, dominant run stuffer. There's no doubt about it. The way Evan Weaver improves his draft stock is he goes to the senior bowl, and then he shows some cover ability and some cover skills when they're doing those, you know, those one-on-one drills that a lot of people don't pay attention to. But when it's the linebackers pitted up against the running backs or the tight ends and coverage, if Weaver shows that he's got cover ability and he's got the flexibility and the smoothness and movement in his hips, you know, to stay with the tight ends and running backs, that's going to further boost his draft stock because we already know what a dominant run defender he is. Tony, have you heard anything about what he's done to, in terms of his body? He had one of the weirder bodies of any yeah. player that I studied uh, this past summer. He got you know just really thickly built. He is a former defensive end. He started as a defensive lineman there early in his career at Cal, then made the transition to middle linebacker. He's been so productive over the last few years. I, I watched him this summer, and I kind of thought – his best position may be at fullback at the next level. It wouldn't surprise me if he made that move. Uh, has he done anything to kind of change his body? How is, his, how is he looking physically at this point in his career? Yeah, he is a big barrel-chested guy, is, uh, yes. you know, who, uh, like you said, looks more like, like a fullback. Uh, what I'm told is he was in the weight room. He's kind of evened himself out, so he, he's not so top-heavy, hmm. uh, which I guess means that he really worked on his lower body in the offseason. So it doesn't come across that he's, a, he's such a big barrel-chested dude. 
So obviously a big-time player in the Pac-12, leading to an upset victory over Washington. Let's talk about a player on the other end of the spectrum that you know maybe is a little bit under the radar as a small school prospect. We've got a number of those guys with some big matchups here this week. We know Mason Fine, the quarterback from North Texas, he gets uh, a big test this week. Uh, the kid Dante Olson, the linebacker from Montana, they play Oregon this week, so a good chance for, uh, for that kid who's been so productive uh, for that team out there uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Good test for him against FBS competition. Who's a small school player that you want us to keep an eye on here moving forward? Keep an eye on Antonio Gandy-Golden. Antonio Gandy-Golden, the wide receiver from Liberty. Now, the talk out of Liberty is all about Hugh Freeze and, you know, the the illness and the injury and and how he's coaching. But the fact are, scouts are going into Liberty because they like this kid. Hmm. He's more of a possession receiver, 6'2", 210, 215 pounds. Reliable hands. First game of the year against Syracuse. Six receptions for 119 yards. Last week against Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Another five receptions for 62 yards. An excellent third down target. An excellent red zone target. Uh, He came into the season with late round grades. I think his play in the early part of the season has made him a lock as a day three pick. If he continues to uh, to play this way on the field, he's going to be drafted. Where he's drafted will be determined on how fast he runs at either the combine or pro day workouts. But scouts like him, and they like him for a good reason, because he's a real good pass catcher. Tony, let's get into some of the matchups uh, this weekend. We already talked about a big one earlier with Ben. Well, let's get into one individual matchup you're excited to watch here uh, this Saturday in college football. Uh, You know, it's going to be Alabama against South Carolina. I don't think it's going to be much of a game, and I know that South Carolina is kind of behind it. Uh, kind of behind the eight ball because uh, they've got Ryan Helinski, a quarterback, after the injury to Jake Bentley. But I really think it's time for Brian Edwards to step up. Uh, six receptions this year for 119 yards. You know, now he's going to be going up against an incredible uh, Alabama secondary that's got uh, Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback, who could be a top 15 pick if he stays healthy and he continues to improve his game. Uh, They also have uh, the safety, Xavier McKinney, an underclassman who's very likely to be, uh, you know, if not a a first-round pick, at least a top-90 selection. Shaheem Shaheem Carter, the senior who's also graded as draftable, but he's not having as good a year uh, in 2019. Uh, But you want to see what Brian Edwards is going to bring to the table because he's going to really carry a lot of the load offensively, even though he's a receiver, because he is a senior, because he is projected so highly, and because the pieces around him are, are, you know, are struggling at South Carolina, you want to see if Edwards can step his game up against really what is NFL competition. Yeah, and I'm going to just give my matchup on a game that's one of the more highly touted matchups uh, of this weekend. You know, all eyes last week were on Clemson versus Texas A&M. Could the Aggies upset the national champs? And obviously that did not come to fruition. But let's look at this matchup this week, Clemson against Syracuse. Two years ago, Syracuse upended Clemson. Last year they nearly did, but uh, a third-string quarterback came in and helped propel Clemson to a victory. So a lot of eyes will be on this matchup. Syracuse has played them tight the last couple of years. And all eyes will be really on those two pass rushers for Clemson or for Syracuse. Two seniors, 
Alton Robinson, who plays mostly on the left side, he is an explosive upfield rusher. He's got good flexibility. He can turn the corner. He can run the arc as well as any pass rusher, especially in the senior class. And then on the other side is a guy I actually like a little bit more, and that's Kendall Coleman. He's got that flexibility. He's not quite as explosive in a straight line as Robinson, but I think he has a really good idea of what he's doing as a pass rusher. He uses his hands well. He's just got a plan of attack when getting after offensive linemen. I really like both players. I like Coleman a little bit more because he's a little bit more polished. But two guys that going up against an upperclassman-laden Clemson offensive line. You know, we've talked about Tremaine Ankrum, uh, a, you know, a very disciplined pass protector. John Simpson, a uh, very powerful mauler on the inside at guard. We'll see if he gets matched up at all with Coleman in this game. Uh, and look, guys like Sean Pollard and, you know, uh, Russell Gage, uh, a lot of guys, or Gage Trevenka, rather, uh, on the Clemson offensive line. A number of guys in that senior class up front there. So a really good matchup in the trenches. So uh, that would be a matchup I'll be watching here this weekend. Tony, uh, let's you wrap know, it up. Let me, yep, go ahead. Let me just say, you know, Alton Robinson's an interesting story because there are some scouts that grade him as a, as a early third-round selection. Yeah. And, I mean, he looks the part. He has the length. You know, he's very flexible. He's nimble. He's got decent speed. He's a good athlete. My problem with him is, you know, he's a wide pass-rushing college defensive end who – He's got to take wide. He's got to get the first step on opponents, yep. and he's got to take uh, wide angles around opponents. If you watch the game this week against Maryland, which uh, Syracuse got stomped by the Terps, I mean, Walton Robinson was handled by a redshirt sophomore whose name is Marcus Miner, who's a first-year starter. Because yeah. you remember, Maryland lost both of their tackles uh, last year. I think he finished the game with Walton Robinson finished the game with one assisted tackle. He did have some hurries or some quarterback pressures, which he didn't get uh, he didn't get credit for, but I mean, the thing when you watch this game is to see if you agree with me or, or if, it, if Walton Robinson doesn't get the first step on the defensive tackle uh, on his opponent, it's game over. Because once mm. the opponent gets his hands on him, Walton Robinson's got no chance. You know, he absolutely looks the part and people are going to fall in love with his measurables. But the tape, in my opinion, just tells a different story. Yeah, I think ultimately when you look at Robinson, he's a guy that has to win quickly. If he can win off the ball, uh, he's got you. I mean, he's got those traits that you look for. Um, just needs to continue to polish, and that's one of the reasons why I like Coleman just a little bit more. Uh, all right, let's get to wrap things up here with our mock draft roundup. And we're actually going to talk about a player that we've mentioned a couple times here over the last couple of weeks in our Saturday scouting segment with Ben Fennell. Uh, Joe Marino from the Draft Network put out his mo uh, most recent mock draft, has the Eagles selecting 32nd overall, so Super Bowl winning uh, Philadelphia Eagles in this mock draft, has them taking Florida State linebacker, a converted safety, Hamza Nazardine. Now, you and I have not talked about Nazardine yet. I know he flashed really well to Ben Fennel live in the Boise State game in week one. St certainly stood out to me on film, uh, or not on film, but uh, watching the team uh, on TV in that game. Have you heard any buzz about Nazardine at all? He's still an underclassman, obviously, uh, about where he would go in the draft, how high he could go. Obviously, his flash early so far in 2019. Yeah, no, nothing, because it's been two games, two terrible games by Florida State where he's yeah. played well. Like you said, he's playing the linebacker position. He's got safety size, uh, very good athlete. I mean, there's really not too much talk about anybody mm. from Florida State uh, from a scouting perspective in the scouting community. Anybody uh, really is going to affect you know, the top 75 picks. Maybe he does in time if he continues to play this way yeah. and he continues to get a little bit stronger and add some bulk to his frame. And he could, you know, fits that mold for the defenses that like to use those undersized linebackers. And we're seeing a lot of them. Yep. But at this point in time, uh, not only 
not only have I not heard anything about Nazardine, it's basically Florida State prospects in general. Yeah, and so you're probably throwing Cam Akers into that list. And outside of that, it really is kind of tough sledding uh, for, for the Seminoles from an NFL draft standpoint right now as we sit here today. Nazardine, you know, who knows if he can continue this. Like you said, uh, maybe he builds up into that discussion. I know Joe is specializes in the ACC uh, for the draft network, so I'm sure he's got his eyes uh, on Nazardine as well as a lot of the players in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Well, Tony, appreciate the time as always here uh, on Draft Buzz on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week, sir. Look forward to it. Well, great stuff from Tony. You can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Tony Pauline. And again, the number one way to support this show is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating and leave us a comment. Uh, and That's the number one way, again, to support the show and boost us up the rankings a little bit, make us more visible for other college football and NFL draft fans out there. And any of the support you can give to any of our podcasts, whether it's the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade or the Eagles Insider podcast with Dave Spadaro. I know he's got a great guest this week. Uh, Hugh Douglas, a former Pro Bowl defense event with the Eagles, now does media down in Atlanta. I know they do a great preview of the Eagles-Falcons matchup for this weekend. So any support you can give any of our podcasts, greatly appreciate it. All right, let's get to our next segment here, Scouting Report. My notes on Oklahoma defensive tackle Neville Gallimore. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the Scouting Report. All right, so Neville Gallimore is a player that I'm really excited about. You know, you look at him and the, the flashes are apparent whenever you watch him on film. He's really been, been kind of flying under the radar a little bit over the last couple of seasons. Oklahoma not known for their big-time defensive players. Now going into his senior season, I think there's a lot of high hopes for him, and, and you're, you're kind of right on the fence. This is where I'm at with Neville Gallimore. If he could take that next step, be a little bit more consistent – this guy's got top half of the first round potential. If he doesn't, I think you're still talking about a day two selection because of the upside and the tools, and we'll get into that now. This is a kid who was born in Ontario, Canada, so a little bit of an interesting story. Grew up uh, you know, playing soccer and volleyball and basketball. Didn't really grow up uh, as a big fan of football, so very relatively new to the sport. But this is a big boy. I mean, he's 6'2", 305 pounds, really thick, muscular frame. Really, I think the first time he popped onto my radar personally, uh, reading, you guys know how much of a fan I am of Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. He did his. He does his piece every single summer on the freak list, the top 50 athletes uh, in college football. And he talked about Neville Gallimore. And I've got some of the notes here for, uh, from what this kid can do in the weight room. 500-pound bench press, 800-pound squat, 405 power clean. I mean, the, guy, the guy's weight room numbers are kind of ridiculous. And at that size, he moves pretty well. And you see that on film. He's got pretty good lateral movement, easy change of direction. He's got some short area burst to be able to close in pursuit. So you see a guy that's got that kind of strength and that kind of mass to hold up in two-gap uh, two situations. But also, he's got some one-gap quickness. He can shoot gaps and penetrate. We've talked about that with some of these guys over the last few weeks. Two-gap players with one-gap quickness. Now you've got position versatility. You can line up up and down the line. And also, scheme versatility. So that can help you in terms of your draft slot. If more teams feel that you can be valuable to them on draft day, well, now you up your chances of getting selected earlier. So I look at Neville Gallimore as a guy who has that kind of versatility across the board, a very intriguing player. Uh, as a pass rusher, his go-to move, really his best move, was that quick swim move. Really nifty off the ball, allowed him to win early. He also has a, a strong club rip move and a slick spin move. So not a really wide array of moves. That's something I'd like to see him continue to improve on moving forward is, all right, can you con uh, continue to attack offensive linemen in different ways, show different ways you can win? He's not really powerful right now to, to consistently collapse the pocket. He'll get that initial 
initial surge, but he's got to continue to run his feet and further move that offensive lineman back into the quarterback's lap. I'd like to see him get a little bit more consistent there. Uh, but look, there aren't a lot of guys that, that can move and do some of the things that he can do from an athletic standpoint. I'd like to see him be consistent this year, stay on the field. I know he's had some issues uh, with his durability in the past, but this is a high upside player with a lot of the physical tools you're looking for. He's got the strength to hold his ground. He's really good against the run. He's got the ability to be really, really good against the run I mentioned. Just want to be more consistent overall. But I know I talked this past spring at the Combine with Marquise Brown, a first-round pick of Baltimore, had a big week uh, this week for the Ravens. Uh, and then Bobby Evans, who was an offensive lineman that faced Neville Gallimore every day in practice. Both guys said, like, look, this guy's upside is through the roof. He's a guy that not all of people are talking about right now on a national scale. Keep an eye on him in his senior season in 2019. So uh, a guy, look, he can go to the senior bowl. He, let's say he has a solid season in Oklahoma. Go to the Senior Bowl, stand out there in Mobile, and now you're talking about this guy's a lock for round one. Just a name to kind of file away there. Uh, Neville Gallimore, very intriguing player, at least in my mind, going through the rest of 2019. All right, let's wrap this show up. One final question here from you guys at home with our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so Draft Mailbag this week. Again, the number one way to support the show, and this, this one came from our Apple Podcast page. If you go on and you give us a rating and leave us a comment, you leave us a question on there, that's the number one way, easiest way to get onto the show each week. And so I want to go uh, to Wild Farm Wines, who left a question saying, uh, Fran, do you think the Eagles could or should draft a running back again in the top three rounds next year? Jordan Howard and Darren Sproles, both on one-year deals. If so, who are candidates uh, for those selections? And also, I recognize that the scheme devalues use the linebacker position, but how long can they go without addressing playmaking Mike linebackers in early rounds? The Cowboys defense clearly prioritizes linebacker and it's better for it. Does the injury to Dylan Moses, the star from Alabama, really make him a mid to late first round pick? And a lot to unpack there. So let's go. I'll start with that last part first. The Dylan Moses thing, we'll see if he decides to come out. You know, Nick Saban has been really good at, at keeping a lot of those talented underclassmen. If he know if he thinks that they're not going to go as high as they could or they could go higher next year. He's pretty good at getting those guys to stay. We saw it this year with Raekwon Davis. You know, Raekwon Davis uh, was, a, to me, one of the best players in the country last year. They had Quinn Williams there who was getting all the production. Raekwon Davis was a terror next to him. He got him to stay and said, look, you come back next year, you have that kind of production, now you're going in the top 10 alongside Quinnen. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say, oh yeah, Dylan Moses is a definite to declare. Anytime, I would say that about pretty much any underclassman. Uh, a lot to consider with that decision. So that's that. Uh, while we're talking linebackers, I think we could talk about linebackers overall. And I think linebacker it's kind of like running back where uh, you know every team is going to view that differently in terms of how they value it, uh, what is the replacement level like for players that you can get in the first or second round versus being able to find those players on day three, uh, you know, maybe even later in day two, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Uh, you can find linebackers that can do, you know, do a lot of different things for you. Uh, it happens every single year in the NFL draft, and every team is going to look at that differently. I don't think any team, and the Eagles are included in that, are going to say, yep, Definitely, we're not taking a linebacker this high. If a, if a guy fits the skill set, if he fits the value, then it's yeah, he's going to be on the table. Uh, you know, I, so I wouldn't write anything off. Dylan Moses certainly, if healthy, fits that category of a guy that yeah, first round. You're talking about a guy like Dylan Moses, uh, and there are some other players. We've talked about Hamza Nazardine on this show, and some other players around the country. I, I talked about Neville Gallimore in the last segment. His teammate Kenneth Murray. I haven't studied him yet. But Kenneth Murray's flying around the football field at 245, 250 pounds. The way that he moves, 
That's pretty impressive. So I want to continue to watch more of some of these linebackers, but I, that's not a position where you say, yeah, there's no way I'm ever taking a linebacker in the top 20, top 25. If the guy's got the skill set to be a sideline-to-sideline playmaker and hold up in the run game, because those are both, uh, you know, you need to be able to do both to be, in my opinion, a guy that goes that high in the draft, a C.J. Mosley type, a Leighton Vander Esch type. You know, Jalen Smith was that guy. He fell into the second round because of the injury. I think that's when you're saying, yeah, those guys go in the top half of round one. The thing, the thing is, is that they're hard to find. Last year we had two. We had Devin Bush and Devin White. Both guys go in the top 10, top 11 picks. That, that That's hard to find, though. So uh, we'll see if anybody in this class uh, turns out to be that guy. And you mentioned running back. Running back every year is always impacted by underclassmen. So which, which, which underclassmen declare? There are a ton of them in this class. I mean, it's going to be big uh, to see which of those guys decide to come out. You look at the senior class, I mean, Look, guys like Zach Moss in Utah, really, really impressive. He's got good power, good balance. We talked about his vision. Uh, a guy coming off a knee injury last year. What is his third down value? That's going to be a question. Keyshawn Vaughn down at Vanderbilt, another senior. He's very dynamic. He's got game-breaking speed, can win inside and outside, can make plays for you in the passing game. I'd like to see him get a little bit better in pass protection, though. So, you know, there are some questions about both these guys, but two of the top seniors, and I think they're going to make a dent. They're not going to be day three picks you file away. They could fall into that part, uh, depending on some of the other factors around them, but two guys that I think are going to go, going to be in that day two discussion. Uh, so you asked in the top three rounds. I think uh, Keyshawn Vaughn and Zach Moss are two names to keep an eye on that are going to go off the board from the senior class in that range. So great question there. And again, if you want to ask a question, just go onto our Apple Podcast page, leave a question on there, leave us a rating, and you'll you'll get on the show next week. So really appreciate the question, uh, Wild Farm Wines. All right, that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will see you next week for week three action. Really excited for another week of college football.